All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Ailish Forfar. The Wemby era begins tonight. We drafted first overall, we believe, by the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, the chaos that would, it, would be, it would be chaotic, for sure. Scoot goes number one. It'd be fun. Scoot, scoots to one. Uh, let's talk about that and more with our insider, brought to you by... Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That insider is Mark Kestisher, NBA play-by-play announcer and host on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be the shocker of this century and last century, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Last year, we weren't quite sure who was going number one, uh, and Paolo Bancaro uh, ultimately was. Uh, yeah, uh, this one, uh, draft lottery night, locked, sealed, mm-hmm. San Antonio. Yeah, heads would have to roll. Many, many heads would have to roll if that went uh, any other way. Uh, before we get to draft stuff, let's ask you about last night's trade. I mean, Chris mm-hmm. Tapps, Porzingis ending up in Boston. It takes Marcus Smart going to Memphis to get it all done. A little surprised, frankly, that the Boston Red Sox were so dead set on getting Chris Tapps, Porzingis. What's your read on on Boston's uh, you know pursuit of this player and what it cost them in order to get it done? Yeah, it was, uh, well, I mean, the whole thing was stunning in that the first three-teamer collapses, and, you know, you never really see that. When these things come out, um, you know, it's a done deal. And then the Brogdon to the Clippers piece didn't happen, and I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's interesting. And then I'm ready to get ready to, you know, get deep into draft prep, and I'm mm-hmm. about to flick off the television, and all of a sudden I'm watching Scott Van Pelt down here on, uh, you know, on SportsCenter, and, you know, it's it's got a new trade bar up there. And I'm like, oh, did they resurrect this thing? And I was stunned, really stunned. Like, you know, I, look, people are way smarter than I am at putting together teams. And I, you know, I wasn't quite sure about Chris Tapp's Porzingis, you know, how that all fits. And then, you know, did a little research into the great season he had in Washington last year. And we know Boston needs a little size, um, you know, they could use some spacing and that's what Porzingis does with his shooting ability too. But I think overall, the thing I'm still trying to deal with is Marcus Smart being gone because mm-hmm. he's such a, he's such a guy that it's more than the stats. Um, you know, it's the leadership, uh, it's the defense. Uh, and then he's been there, you know, I think he was the longest tenured Celtic up until this trade, whenever it, you know, becomes official. So I think the way things ended last year, you know, changes need to happen. I don't think they're done yet either. Like, I think, you know, at this point you're like, well, how do you go to Malcolm Brogdon and say, Hey, you're still our, you know, six man of the year, uh, you know, off the bench. I, I think they may move him in the end as well. Uh, Brad Stevens is a really smart, stealthy guy. And, and he knew that there was something missing that had to be changed. I mean, that team, uh, again, I, I feel like, you know, we have smeared the Miami heat even uh, as, uh, as we've now buried that team uh, as uh, NBA finals runner ups, you know, is to go down three uh, Oh to uh, Miami with all the undrafted players uh, to come back and then lose as they did in game seven at home. I guess the long way to say change had to happen. Uh, this was not the change I was looking for. We haven't even talked about it from the Memphis Grizzlies point of view yet. That was just a stunner last night. Mm-hmm. No, I think uh, a little bit of excitement the day before the draft certainly gets everybody tantalized for what might happen tonight. I wonder if you see any trades happening maybe up to number three. I know that pick's been floated around, and and rappers were in there for a little bit, and it sounds like that's a a lost cause for us. But any teams that might be interested in making a ploy for number three? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, we keep saying the draft will start at two because I guess we've all established mm-hmm. what one's going to be. And then what's Portland going to do at three? Um, it feels like this, if, if if not now, I don't know when Damian Lillard leaves Portland, gets moved, has a chance to play for a contender. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine and he's even said it himself, you know, that he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. He doesn't want to be part of younger guys. You know, he wants to uh, win. And that has kind of fluctuated, you know, over the last few months, because I know we spoke with him uh, at all-star break in Salt Lake city. And anytime you bring up the chance to leave Portland, go play for a contender, it's always, I want to finish what I've started here. And I still think he defaults to that. Uh, to the end. So it really depends on, um, you know, I think Miami seems like the logical destination. Uh, so I'm, I, I think, yes, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to go out on the limb and say, yes, we're going to get that trade done Ooh. tonight. Cause you know, co- coming off Boston <laughs> last night, three team rework dead comes alive. I have no idea what Charlotte's going to do it too. I think they're going to end up going uh, to Brandon Miller, it just seems like a better fit for what they have right now. And then Scoot is there at three for Portland or, you know, however that ends up in a trade. I, I think we do have some chaos tonight. I love it. Let's bring it up. It. Yeah, we need. We definitely need some <laughs> chaos. Uh, is it Portland then that's facing the most pressure, do you think, tonight? Like, I, I think this Raptors uh, front office is facing some pressure, but they can do what they've done for a, a while now, kick the can down the road, take the player that they think is is best positioned at number 13 and just call it a night. Uh, but it feels like there's got to be some teams. Boston might be that team feeling that pressure with the subsequent move, maybe involving Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Portland, Boston, I'm not going to say the Raptors because they're not there, but what team do you think is facing the most pressure to do something meaningful tonight? Yeah, I think, uh, well, most pressure, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say Portland. This is uh, this is the, the time where you got to figure out, like, do we keep uh, the guy who, you know, nobody knew about at a little Weber state and turned himself into an all-star and has never had a chance uh, to truly play for a championship. Or do we go youth movement, you know, uh, blow it up per se, see what we can get. Uh, so I think ultimately they have the most pressure. I think, you know, under the radar a little bit for me is Charlotte because I felt like there was a little bit of OKC in them two years ago in that, you know, they put together a decent roster that had a chance to finally, you know, perhaps peer a little bit, you know, into the bottom of the East, you know, as far as, you know, uh, the play in and then get into the top six. And they take a huge step backwards. Um, obviously, there were some legal issues in there. Uh, there was injury issues in there with LaMelo Ball. They were not expected to have a top three pick, nearly got the number one overall pick. It was them in San Antonio, obviously, before the last card came up. Uh, that the Spurs were going to win the draft lottery. And, and you know, they have two really good players that are available to them after Weminyana. Weminyana is casting such a large, large shadow, both literally and figuratively, <laughs> over the rest of the draft, especially at the top, that there are, you know, Scoot Henderson could be a number one pick in, uh, in any other draft. Um, and I, I think Brandon Miller, I know there's, you know, some legal issue also that, may have some concern. I don't think it's as much as, you know, perhaps uh, it was during the NCAA tournament with all the questioning, but uh, is another guy who's six, nine, uber talented, can defend multi-positional can shoot the three. So I think, um, 
I think in some way, even Charlotte with some found draft capital at number two. But, you know, if you're not Denver, anybody not named Denver, even the Miami Heat, you know, they they don't want it. They never want to go backwards. They always want to improve. And they went so much farther than anybody thought they could have gone. And, you know, they may lose two of their best undrafted guys this year. And so I think that um, there's some pressure. There's always pressure sent from Pat Riley's office on down uh, to improve that team, to keep that team viable and keep them in contention for a championship. And I think, you know what, let me just add one more because I say every team. Uh, it comes to mind that the Milwaukee Bucks as well, I know you, they have Giannis, um, but right now there's a lot of uncertainty after Chris Middleton. I can't believe we're at a stage now where people are opting out of $40 million. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. And Brooke Lopez, who means so much to them uh, off uh, defensively and what he contributes offensively, I think there's some pressure there with a very young coach that, you all are familiar with and Adrian Griffin to come into that situation. Um, so I think there's some pressure on the Bucks as well. So what do you think the best case scenario is for the Raptors tonight? They have 13th overall pick. Um, obviously they, they had Scotty Barnes the last time that they are up uh, fourth overall in 2021. We know how that one played out, but 13th is an interesting spot. Like, uh, you know, it's a, it, we are hearing that it's a top heavy draft. Maybe it's a little bit deep, but I don't know what, what you're thinking around 13 and best case scenario for our Toronto Raptors tonight. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out as well, too. Uh, we're going to have on our draft show uh, a lot of the usual really intelligent suspects. You know, Jay Billis is really good at, you know, figuring out exactly how deep. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni, who goes all around the world and travels and talks to all the players, you know, before they even become anywhere near a household name on draft night, you know, he's had a chance to sit down and talk with them. I'm getting the feeling it's deeper than even I really anticipated. And I think there's still going to be, you know, as I look at it now, if everything else, you know, frozen and you just take the best 13 players and there's no trades and Toronto comes up at number 13, I think there's some really interesting choices at that position. Um, you know, as I was thinking about it last night, knowing I was coming on, to try to have a smart answer who's going to be 13 because I don't even know who's going to be number two. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, there's a lot of big wings out there. And I know that's probably the last thing mm -hmm. that folks in Toronto want to hear because <laughs> you guys are loaded <laughs> with big wings who have upside and are really talented, uh, you know, but it's hard to go away from get the best player available. And it's interesting because in the draft that uh, Victor Wembanyama is going to go first, you know, there's two other, uh, young French players who I, are way under the radar that nobody talks about. Uh, Koulibaly is one of them, Bilal Koulibaly, who is six six. You know, he's um, a little shorter on the wing end, but I'm told is incredibly uh, athletic and talented. He's a guy that I've got, you know, still available at 13. And um, Leonard Miller, who everyone's familiar with up in Toronto, uh, mm -hmm. a Toronto kid who, you know, went to G League Ignite, because uh, I uh, and and I think from everything I've heard, and I didn't get to broadcast any G League games this year, unfortunately. Usually I get one or two. We did see him in Salt Lake City, although he didn't play a ton of minutes uh, in that rookie sophomore uh, the four game setup that they do. But um, you know, in the three years that we've had G League Ignite, I don't think anybody um, led the team in scoring and led the team in rebounding. So just if you're looking at it from a statistical standpoint, uh, he made a huge leap this year. Um, local kid, you know, to me, those are the two guys that are still available, at least on any of the draft boards that I've seen that if you're not, if you're not going to uh, get creative and go crazy with trades, 
uh, might be a really nice acquisition. I wonder with Koulibaly if uh, maybe San Antonio tries to get involved in the middle of the first round again to uh, bring in a teammate to uh, help make the mm, landing even more cushy. But uh, Victor Wembayama probably doesn't need that uh, <laughs> at this point. Um, when you look at the draft overall, is there someone that you have a soft spot for, just like a prospect that you like, that intrigues you, uh, that you have time for, uh, whether it's late in the draft with maybe one of the uh, – the, the seniors, the Jaime Jaquez, Marcus Sasser. Is there someone that's, uh, you know, maybe not a slam dunk pick, maybe not the most uh, explosive from a, a talent base or potential base that you just have time for and want to see uh, come off the board in round one tonight? You know, it's funny. I, I'll throw all my biases out there because um, in addition to calling NBA games, I, I'm fortunate I get to call a few college games here and there and uh, largely do a lot of Big 12 uh, and it's, this is way second round, and I got to do some intel today to find out why. But I love Jalen Wilson, um, you know, from Kansas, who I thought had a terrific year, especially with Ochai Abaji leaving. And now we all know about Christian Brown, who, you know, I, I thought was a really good player and went late in the first round and ends up playing, you know, rotational minutes. But uh, I thought he's a name uh, that, that I really have a soft spot for, but that's way in the second round. If you look late in the first round, and another bias, I'm from Albany, New York, so I always keep track of the Albany kids. But Andre Jackson, who won a NCAA title at UConn this year, um, he can do so many things. He seems to have real good leadership. You know, he's 6'6", he's long. The biggest knock on him is his shooting ability, which I think we all know in the NBA, that's a, that's a skill you can learn. I mean, you can just go to town uh, for two years before you get a rotation spot. Uh, with the NBA, there's a lot of patience there. You all see it before games. We we see it after games when you're trying to do your post game work. And on the court, there's usually at least two guys out there with a coach or two, you know, working on shooting. So those are two bigs for uh, two big names for me: Jalen Wilson in the second round. And I think Andre Jackson in the first round, late in the first round. Yeah, I like that you brought up Christian Brown because that's at least a point of frustration for me with how this Raptors team is built. It's never just like, hey, let's get someone who could be serviceable here. It's like it's like home run cuts or nothing. And a lot of the time, uh, they're striking out with guys who they're trying to take flyers on. But again, I mean, they've had success with a guy like Pascal Siakam and they maybe reached or it seemed like they reached on Scotty Barnes and it looks like they nailed that. So it's kind of boom or bust. But sometimes when you're a, a team that lacks depth, like the Raptors, have been you look at Christian Brown just stepping in and being useful for Denver and it's like okay we could probably use a couple of those draft picks as well I think uh, I think Fran Fraschilla uh, who I worked a lot of games with 10-15 years ago was the first guy and he still says it and it, it rings in my ears all the time when we get to draft night and I used to work with him at the summer league too in Las Vegas and he would always say 95% of the NBA are role players, you know, and, and I think 5% as stars is probably a bigger number than it truly is. Mm -hmm. But his point is well taken is that, you know, the bulk, the majority, the super majority, almost all of NBA players, if you have a role, you know, if you're a three and D guy, or if you're, you know, off the bench, three point shooter, um, your rim protector. I mean, all teams need that to become teams. And if we haven't learned the lesson, we definitely learned it this year with the Denver Nuggets. And of course, it's unfair because, you know, um, the Joker is an all time player, but just doesn't get a lot of press. And Jamal Murray was ticketed to become, you know, a multiple all star, 
but got injured and somehow still hasn't made the all-star team. But, you know, it's, it's just tough. There's, there's so many great guards in the Western Conference. But you got to have the Bruce Browns. you got to have the Contavious Caldwell Popes. All guys, if we have a, a draft today, are probably not getting taken. It, you know, because, it, you know, we, all we think about are superstars. And as you said, big cuts and big home run swings. And so, yeah, I think that's when you talk to the GMs and you talk to their scouts, you know, they're always looking beyond all of that. So you're right. I mean, there's, you know, there are guys that are needed. And again, it's a crapshoot to begin with. So it's a crapshoot for superstars. Can you imagine what the crapshoot is to find a role player? It's, uh, it's an amazing business. I love talking to GMs and telling them, 10 years from now, I'm going to tell you, how stupid were you to take that guy at number two? And yet, you know, a guy like Mitch Kupchak from Charlotte, who's had three top three picks, this will be his fourth, and the first three, you know, have all become all-stars. It's not easy. It's not an easy gig. ESPN's Mark Kestisher uh, on the phone with us. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story of the Sedin twins, Daniel and Henrik, who were drafted Two and three uh, overall in the NHL draft a long time ago. They're now in the Hall of Fame, so it's I been do. quite a while. I, I, was in my, I was in my update years, so I remember uh, having to speak about go. them all the time, yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it was. Matt, I don't know if they'd be in the Hall of Fame today if they weren't on the same team together, but Brian Burke made it happen. Now, the, the same thing doesn't apply to basketball. Uh, these guys uh, definitely maybe don't need each other as much as Daniel and Henrik did. But the Thompson Twins I'm intrigued with. Is there any possibility that you see where a team could swoop in and find a way to get two picks in the top 10 to make the Thompson twins Thompson teammates. <laughs> First of all, uh, we got to have the Thompson twins just for those uh, who remember eighties music. So that's number one. And number two, I don't know um, if that's possible. Uh, I would love to see it because, you know, these two guys play so well together. I can't even imagine being identical twins, having a brother who, uh, you know, was just as good as I was. And these two guys are terrific, even though they have strong uh, skill sets in different areas. Um, you know, I, I was watching an interview yesterday talking about this is going to be the first time you guys are going to play a part. And there's a psychology to that. I thought the Morris twins out of Kansas did a really good job, even though I think at one point, one played for the Clippers, one played for the Lakers. And of course they moved in together because that's just, I mean, that's the default, right? That's the reset when, you grow up with somebody, you just want to, it's awkward to be apart. It's like, uh, you know, if you're conjoined twins and, and having to be separated. So I would love to see it happen. There are some teams that are um, flush with some picks to get them both in the lottery is so rare, but who knows on a night where we're predicting chaos, let's let them get, and I've been at the draft many times. I'm, I'm too, I'm back in the studio for the second straight year. I had my fill of uh, 16 straight drafts mm. and trying to not only tell you who got picked, but tell the guys the hat they're wearing is incorrect and you're going to Team X. So let's have the Thompson twins with completely different hats on and somehow by virtue of trades, you know, both end up, uh, well, let's pick a random team. Both end up, uh, my first thought was Indiana. Don't think that'll happen, but mm. I'd love to see it for them. Uh, but it, it's, uh, this will begin a new chapter of their lives to uh, have to play a part and have to survive a part. But from what I'm hearing, both incredibly well-adjusted uh, young men that will do terrifically without each other. 
Before we let you go, um, I know you said maybe the wild prediction could be a trade for number three, maybe not the Thompson twins uh, ending up together. But is there like a favorite part of the draft for you? I know you've covered quite a lot. Is it getting to see some of these unsung kids get an opportunity, the the after the interview, um, when they get off the podium and they're just so like authentic and real? Is there something we should be looking forward to tonight that really makes this NBA draft special? Yeah, you know, for me, and I, I don't know if it comes through on the television side as it does on the radio side, because the way it, the behind the scenes, they're on the stage, they get selected, they um, shake hands with the commissioner, take a picture, they walk off to the side. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how it's viewed in Canada, but um, whoever our top reporter is for ESPN, Malika Andrews, is now uh, top dog. She'll get that interview. And then after that, there's a, I call it the car wash. There's about eight or nine different entities that that player is now going to go to. And for some reason, when they get to ESPN radio, which is usually the second spot, I think we're usually number two, there's like this breath that they take. You can almost see it. They've done the TV part. They've gotten selected. And there's this relaxation. And we usually have, you know, four people at the desk and we actually have a long conversation and it might be the longest we're going to have in that person's entire career. Because as you go along, um, you know, it's star treatment. You usually don't have as much time for the media. And so for me, I just love that window into the soul. Um, and more often than not, I would say 99% of the time, I'm always amazed at um, how together these guys have their lives, how articulate, how they see the big picture, um, their thankfulness, you know, for all the people that got them to this part. So for me, that's always my favorite. And my second favorite, I kind of gave it away a few moments ago, is I love when we told somebody they are not going to the Denver Nuggets, you're going to the Utah Jazz, <laughs> because Woj has just broke a trade and their agent hasn't had a chance to get to them yet. So the look in their eyes when they're like, oh, okay, I'm not going there, I'm going here, that might be 1A for my favorite part. Well, I hope you get the good mix of chaos and wholesome moments tonight. Uh, really appreciate you jumping on with us. Enjoy tonight, and we'll chat with you later on in the season. Excellent. Always good to be on with you. Thanks so much. That's Mark Kessicher, NBA play-by-play announcer and host at ESPN Radio, and he'll be hosting ESPN Radio's pre-draft show tonight at 7 p.m. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Uh, we have the rare two-guest block ahead, so we should run to break now to make sure that we have time for Gary Trent Sr. and Kurt Badenhausen to talk about, well, Gary Trent Jr. and the latest report from Sportico that Larry Tannenbaum selling off some shares of MLSE. It's Gary Trent Sr. and Kurt Badenhausen next. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, the final block on a baby Friday on the Fan Morning Show. Excitement in the NBA tonight. The NBA draft kicks off. We'll have coverage at 7.30. But there's always excitement around Toronto Raptors and our lovely, lovely relationship with some of them. And we get to talk to a father of a beloved Toronto Raptor, Gary Trent Sr., former NBA, NBA forward, and obviously the dad of Gary Trent Jr., who we have heard as of the last couple of days is maybe going to stick around Toronto a little longer. So how's it going this morning, Gary? Oh, it's going great. It's going great. Just uh, 
took one of my sons to football practice, and now I'm on the way to the gym. Oh, there you go. Busy dad this morning. Um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get right to Gary Trent Jr., who, of course, is, uh, is someone that we, uh, we're excited to see that exercised his uh, player option for the upcoming season. So why would Gary want to stick around Toronto and the excitement level that comes with that as, as a dad and, and the family and the relationship here in uh, the city of Toronto? Well, the first thing is he's always liked being in Toronto. You know, he's never disliked it. He's never, uh, you know, had any ill feelings there. So that's number one. Uh, number two, you know, new coach, uh, new opportunities, um, you know, with the new system. So it should create him some opportunities to where he can still thrive and continue to grow as a player. So what's priority number one for Gary Trent Jr. right now? Uh, he's only 24. I think this fan base needs to be reminded of that because, you know, he's been in the NBA for qu- uh, quite some time, but he's not yet a finished product. So when you're talking about your son's summer, what your son wants to accomplish next season, uh, what are the priorities for him? I think, well, right now he's living in Miami for the summer. He's doing his two-a-days. You know, get up at 4.30, uh, get over to the gym, do your body strength and conditioning for an hour. Uh, that's from 6 to 7. Then from 7 to 8.30, you're on the court. So in those in those 90 minutes, we break each 30-minute segment down into something that he needs to work on. You know, that way you can really focus and create some uh, strides of improvement. So once he leaves there, go lay down, eat, lay down, and uh, come back to the gym from 3 to 4, and then those other next two 30-minute segments, we continue to work on different things. So basically he's broken his workouts down into five 30-minute segments of what, you know, things that he want to improve on as far as floaters, things around the rim, improving in the pick and roll, just everything that a guard needs to be doing to take his game to the next level. So to me, I think he's just looking for great opportunity and being able to make sure that when the ball come his way, you know, this coach want me to run a pick and roll, this coach need me to catch and shoot. So you just want to really prep on everything. There's no one phase of your game that we're working on or one piece of your game. In order to become a finished product, you have to work on all phases. Well, it feels like a great opportunity for Gary. Uh, you mentioned the new coach, uh, a new system, but also a team that might be descending slightly into a bit of a rebuild, uh, which should thrust him into more minutes and give him an opportunity to really have an impact. And I guess it's really, you know, it's doubly beneficial in that it's only a one-year commitment. So you can kind of see how things go here with both Darko and the direction of the team and maybe make your decision then. Is that appealing where it's not yet a finished product that he doesn't have to be quote unquote role player and that he can really grow and become his best self over the next few seasons or at least this upcoming season here with the Toronto Raptors? Well, that's what he's looking forward to. He's looking forward to the opportunity. Uh, You know, a lot of his opportunity was taken away with the trade. You know, one day you start, one day you don't. And, you know, some nights you play 35 minutes, some nights you'll play 14 minutes. So you just got to make sure you find some balance in there and be able to stay emotionally and mentally consistent no matter what's going on around you. We're speaking with Gary Trent Sr., former NBA forward and dad of Gary Trent Jr. So when you look at this Raptors team last year, I think, um, um, you know, I think it's fair to say it didn't reach their full potential at times. Where do you think that they could have had a little bit more attention to detail or improvement in terms of, you know, maybe offseason goals as a team to make next year steps forward in the right direction? I just think everybody needs to be um, 
a unified stance. You know, when you have uh, too many different contracts, I like think about it. It's not even so much about the players. The team had, had nine, ten guys on the roster up for trades. Mm-hmm. Every there, there wasn't. There was only probably one guy, maybe Siakam, whose name wasn't in a trade. So you know, you got the whole locker room feeling unstable. You got the whole locker room feeling like we don't know what's next. Who do who do they care about? Who do they want here? It's not. It's when it's one individual. It's one thing, but when you have your whole franchise. And every player that shows up to practice day in and day out, games day in and day out, questioning their role, questioning what we're going to do, questioning what's the direction of the team, questioning what we're going to do tonight, how, what style we're going to play, it leads for what type of season you saw. Was that a challenge? You didn't have five, six, you so, didn't have five or six guys in the locker room that were veterans, all team that already has accepted what it's going to be, accepted their roles, accepted their opportunities. You got your whole roster is still in a hunger and a climb. Yeah, and that hunger and the climb was individual, right? Like everyone's kind of sorting out where they stand, well, you got, what you their got five direction games, is. You got, yeah, you got five games of one-on-one going out there instead of uh, five guys playing together. You got Yeah, you got five guys on the floor, but are you five guys together? You know, you got five games of one-on-one uh, defensively at times. You know, you got five games of one-on-one offensively at times. Uh, you know, guys feeling like they're being overlooked or, you know, you can tell body language or you can see when a guy is opening, this guy dropped his hands because he ain't had the ball. And, okay, well, I haven't had the ball this many times, so I'm going to come down take three shots in a row. And it just – when you're trying to force a rhythm, you, 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 it doesn't work because you got too many guys who are in question mark. You know, like I said, when you look at the trade deadline, when you come into the locker room and you look around and, all nine of y'all like, well, who ain't going to be here? Who's not here? Who don't, you know, you can't, you can't question that. You want to feel confident. You want to feel, you want to have faith in what you're doing. Are, are you confident that things are going to be different given that, you know, Gary chose to re-up and come back for another year? Well, considering the new coach and considering his work ethic, that's the only thing, only thing that we can guarantee is that you're going to work and you're going to go hard. Now, the outcome of that is not all up to you. You know, is coach going to call your number? Uh, is guys going to change their mindset? Will a trade put you in this position? So the things that he cannot control, never, ever worry about that. The only thing you can control is how much you work, how much you improve, so that when you're put in the situations, you can make a coach have faith in you. You know, this is going to be Darko's first year, so there's going to be some things that he see up close that he never knew about Gary, about Scotty, about Pascal. He's going, to, he's going to see it about everybody now. You know, he probably saw him on the scouting report, seen him on film, mm-hmm. but now that you're coaching them and you're watching them day in and day out, you know, he can be like, hey, you know, I didn't know he was capable of that or I didn't know Scotty had that move or I didn't know Pascal could do that. So there's things that he hasn't seen in person that he's going to make uh, adjustments as a coach as he goes and I think it's going to be a learning process for everybody, especially this is his first coaching job. And he's not, unless they make some real trade, he's not being dealt a real strong poker hand right now as far as a rebuild. You know what I'm saying? And during the rebuild, the coach, the fans, and more importantly, the fans in the city have to be patient through that process to understand, you know, every team's trying to get to this championship and Toronto got a taste of that. So now that they understand what it takes to be champions, and they understand the taste of being a champion, uh, you know, the fans have to be patient with the rebuild. That That's what they're trying to get back to. What gives you confidence in Darko? Uh, I don't know him as a coach yet. I don't I don't know him as a person. 
you know, um, to me, the, the, the first thing comes from hearing about his name and his reputation and his experience in the league. That could be the first thing to give you confidence because you're dealing with somebody that uh, they didn't go grab somebody out of college. They grabbed somebody to understand an NBA player, an NBA player's lifestyle, the threshold, uh, somebody that knows when to practice, when to lighten up, when the guys are tired. So those type of things just on his reputation of being around the league give you some sort of confidence. But the real confidence comes in, what did you do in the off season to prepare yourself? So when coach puts you in a situation, because, you know, nobody knows exactly, exactly what their role is going to be. A coach can tell you, hey, we want this out of you this year. This is what we're looking from you. But, you know, you got to live up to those expectations and you got to be ready for that. And I think once a coach gives you a, an assignment of what they trying to get out of you and they see that you can fulfill that, then they'll put more responsibility on your plate because they say, okay, he can do this. Okay. Oh, he can do this as well. So I just think, you know, once he gets in there and get to coaching and getting to see guys at practice and seeing cohesiveness, he'll make some adjustments and, and uh, I think they'll be able to improve. We're speaking with Gary Trent Sr. So you were drafted uh, 1995, not to, to date that, but uh, um, at 11th overall. And today is the NBA draft. So I wonder when you look back and reflect on your own draft day, what memories come to mind? What are the kids going through today when they're waiting for their name to be called uh, to start their NBA career? Well, everybody's going through something different. Like prime example, uh, the, the, what's his name? Wimbaya, Victor Wimbaya. Yes, Wimbanyama. <laughs> Wimbe Yama, right? So with that being said, he already knows he's the number one pick. I'm sure he's already spoke to his agent. They already spoke to the Spurs. This is just going through the dance steps already on the floor. Like, so what he's going through is, I know I'm going to the Spurs. He's already had some conversations. So he's already got some groundwork laid. He might already have a house picked out <laughs> because so much is already already laid. He already got your money from, from shoe deal. Like his life is already in a different space already even though the guy sitting next to him is getting drafted. Now, what the number eight pick might be going through, mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going to live. My agent telling me I could go from fourth to 12th. So, you know, he's got a – he don't know what team. I don't. I haven't uh, picked the place yet. You know, this team said they love me. And if I'm here at this number, when this team, if they still get the pick, they'll take me. So – everybody's going through something different. The guy who's number projected number 20th, he has no idea where he's going to be. No, I you think it's a lot of uncertainty, right? Yeah, so that's why I said, you know, at the draft, everybody's going through something emotionally, but everybody's going through something different because some guys have it more laid out than others. Some guys know I'm going to be number two behind Victor, mm-hmm. so I'm going to this team. So once you get out of that four and five on up, a lot of guys have different thoughts, you know. Some guys hoping they get in the end of the first round. Then you got guys who are sitting there in emotional financial situations like, you know, they might have already been involved in some financial or some guys enter the draft because of financial things at home, even though they may not be ready. So it's a big night for a lot of people because uh, it's a life-changing event and it's a uh, it's the beginning of your professional career once you once you take that step. So, you know, it's a lot of different emotions and thoughts going through all guys differently. 
Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting night and hopefully the start of uh, a great career for whoever the Toronto Raptors select at 13th as well. And I know you like your fashion, you like your fit, so we'll see a lot of that tonight too. Maybe some mink coats uh, strolling in for the NBA draft tonight. Uh, it's, it's gonna be too warm. It's gonna <laughs> it's be too, too bad, warm. Right? You know and I go the best. The best you can probably come with in this is maybe a vest or mm-hmm. maybe a, 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 a outfit made of some type of mink material Ooh, or okay. some type of chinchilla material or something because uh, 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 a full a full one tonight, they're going to think, hold on, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd have some insight on the fashion, so I appreciate that and all, oh, and yeah. the, all the great yeah. conversation about Gary Trent Jr. as well. We really appreciate that, and, and we'll see you around Toronto next year. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's Gary Trent Sr., former NBA forward and dad of Gary Trent Jr. And a lot of great insight there about uh, the relationships between the players and the atmosphere in that dressing room when there's a lot of people that are getting pulled in different directions or hearing their name in different directions and walking into that locker room. And we speculated on this a lot last season about there's got to be weird vibes in there at times. And I think he kind of laid that out. Yeah, I think everyone was sort of like made to fend for themselves last year. And we saw that all manifest on the floor where it was not the cohesive thing that it should have been. Uh, so Gary Shed Jr. has got an opportunity for his own kind of bet on himself season as well. Uh, I don't think that that's uh, necessarily going to be the same theme that everybody was going through. I mean, the trade deadline was really spicy. Was, this guy's going to go here. This guy's getting this package. And, and so Gary Shed Sr. lays out that that's not always the most comfortable situation to play mm-hmm. in. So we'll hear more about what happens with the, uh, the future contract. If they're going to work on something more long-term, that could be, I think, uh, early in July, they can uh, officially have those I guess conversations or rumors come out. Um, but that was Gary Trent Sr. ahead of tonight's NBA draft. Before we get our next guest on the line, we'll just line up. Um, you can watch tonight's NBA draft. Tonight it's headed in Brooklyn, 7.30 p.m. on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet Now. Uh, Spurs obviously on the clock with the first overall pick. Raptors have the 13th selection. And tomorrow we'll know who the newest member of the Toronto Raptors are. Justin and I are, you're off tomorrow. Mm-hmm. This is our last show together for a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. off tomorrow. You're going to Nashville next week. So we will reconvene in July. on the Raptors pick in July. Yeah, it'll be oh, a little while. Weird. So yeah, just a little, uh, little programming note. Gunner's going to be on the next two, sh- next six shows with either one of us. He never stops grinding. All right. No, to wrap up our baby Friday, we got some, some big finance talk this morning. You know, we're well-rounded. We're, book, we're bookending the show with finance talk. <laughs> but we got we called in the experts, the people that, that really know. Um, Kurt Bodenhauser, sports business reporter at Sportico. And obviously, that was the big uh, announcement yesterday, information that Larry Tannenbaum might be selling some shares. So, Kurt, thanks for joining us this morning. You're the smart guy. You're the math guy. Lay it all out for us. Like, explain <laughs> this to us. Like, we're five. <laughs> Because we are. <laughs> uh, I don't know about a smart guy, but I will do my best. Uh, listen, uh, this this is. You know, I don't. I don't think this is going to change how uh, the, the the clubs under Maple Leaf Sports are run, uh, particularly the Raptors and Maple Leafs. I, I think this is a function of Larry Tannenbaum uh, taking a little money off the table. We've seen. Prices skyrocket for sports franchises uh, over the last few years. Uh, institutional uh, investors want to buy these things. Uh, and the NBA changed its bylaws recently, and the NBA NHL filed suit where pension plans, endowments, sovereign wealth funds, they can all invest in NBA or NHL teams. So what we're looking at here is, and this still has to be approved, and, and, and there's, a, there's a couple mm-hmm. – 
uh, could be a couple bumps in the road, but but uh, Larry Tannenbaum selling a, a portion of his 25% stake in Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment at a value of more than $8 billion uh, in terms of the whole enterprise. So sovereign wealth getting involved is is definitely a very, very important context here. But like it kind of traces back to me or people that are five years old uh, to the Ottawa Senators sale and the fact that a, a franchise that's kind of low on the earning totem pole, it was sold for almost a billion dollars. We saw maybe a trickle down effect with the Tampa Bay Lightning and some shares being uh, sold off there, maybe more than Larry Tannenbaum's willing to go. But it's just this like a reminder, hey, there's a lot of money right now in sports. People really want to buy into this. <laughs> And it just might be time to, you know, buy that cottage or or whatever uh, Larry Tannenbaum is going to do with what is way more than, you know, just a cottage. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's a great point about the Senators. I mean, how much excited? I mean, it's hockey in Canada. It, it sells itself. And and the Raptor and the Leafs uh, have the market to themselves. They, they are by far, they are. 100% the most valuable team in the NHL. Uh, and NBA teams have been selling at huge multiples uh, of revenue as, as the anticipation of their next TV deal uh, comes up. And the, the, the pension plans and, and these investors like the idea of investing in sports teams because unlike traditional stocks, which can fly up and down very easily, sports teams have been just on a gradual rise, up and up and up for Four decades now, and that offers stability for some of their money. So to park a little bit of their money, if you're a pension plan, uh, to put a little bit over there, that just adds a little bit of stability uh, to your, say, equity portfolio, which can swerve significantly up and down from year to year. If I know anything about equity portfolios, is that stability uh, is an important <laughs> yeah, thing. I know that too. <laughs> uh, so $8 billion is a nice number, right? Mm. And if I know anything about Gary Bettman and his job uh, description and what they want from him with his job as NHL commissioner, it is to enhance the values of franchises. And now this is more than just one franchise. This is an entity. This is a conglomerate that you know owns a lot of things. But when you get an $8 billion valuation, uh, what does that mean to the stakeholders involved? Well, I think you know, the other two primary stakeholders in this operation are Rogers Communications and Bell Canada. And in, you know, it's, there's a, this is an interesting situation because those two both have rights of first refusal on any sort of stake that Larry uh, puts up for sale. So that that still has to be worked out, wh- whether they want to match that. Right now it's sitting with the NBA Finance Committee uh, for approval. Um, no- nothing is done by any stretch. Uh, but to your point, 100%, these owners, uh, excuse me, these commissioners, Adam Silver, Gary Bettman, Roger Goodell, they work for the owners. And their primary job is take all the gruff and all the angry fans uh, and shield their owners from it and to grow their businesses and franchise values. And, and you look at the valuations uh, that are going on right now. I mean, you know, they're, they're double uh, in a lot of cases what they were two, three years ago. Uh, so very good time to be a sports team owner right now. Last thing that people are watching live right now, and that makes it very valuable TV content and they're maximizing that. Last one for you, Kurt, before we let you go. Um, in terms of how much Larry Tannenbaum might retain, whether that's an estimate of the shares or the control, do you, do you have a, a thought on how much he would control um, or re- retain when he is making the sale? 
we weren't able to determine how much he's putting up for sale, but uh, I 100% expect him to uh, remain chairman of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. He owns 25% right now. He's chairman of the NBA Board of Governors. I, I don't think Larry's stepping away from any of these very uh, high-profile jobs. Uh, I think this is just taking literally some, some money off the table single digit percentages uh, in, in terms of what he's selling, but uh, single digits on an $8 billion valuation is, is, is a nice check to, uh, to go out and buy some nice things with. Yeah. Just some casual cash flow for LT. <laughs> I think, right? I mean, because I, I, like you're not, you know, leaving yourself 1% and being, uh, you know, chairman and having, and being the face of all this, right? Like it has to be, you yeah. still have to have a pretty sizable stake in order to still have those benefits. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. The the, the bylaw, NBA bylaws re- require the lead owner to have fifteen percent. Um, so uh, yeah, I, there's no again. I, this is this is single digits, mm-hmm. uh, as far as we know. Uh, you know, I, this is not Larry uh, unloading and walking away, and, and and new leadership coming in for Maple Leaf Sports. Um, and so, but you know, a five percent check, five uh, percent on eight billion. That's Four hundred million dollars. So that's 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 good walking around cash. Yeah, that uh, sounds uh, that sounds lovely. Sounds like a nice day's work. Uh, Kurt, uh, we appreciate you coming on this morning. Excuse me, and giving us a little insight uh, and you know the bookend on our finance talk this morning. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, appreciate it. That's Kurt Bodenhausen, uh, sports business reporter for Sportico. Let's hit a quick wake and rake. Speaking of finances, now it's go. time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money. With Ailish and Justin. I'll tell you what, I feel smarter than I did three hours ago. And that means I'm going to make a smart pick tonight, and that's Tampa Bay Rays on the run line against Kansas City Royals. I would even tease that to two and a half, but I'm going to do one and a half just to make it things easy. But, yeah, Tampa Bay Rays, Shane McClanahan on the bounce. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should be slightly concerned because we're sharing a brain, and I'm Uh-oh. struggling mightily. Uh, it has been a tough go for me. I'm going to stick with that game. We're going with the same game parlay. I'm going to take the over K's for Shane McClanahan because I can't have the run line. Uh, but this is uh, a little bit of a mismatch here forming uh, with the Royals in town. So, yeah, rolling with the Rays, and hopefully they get it done with uh, enough strikeouts to hit the over. Okay, I'm going to quickly read all three of the anchor pick submissions. we got Austin Riley over one and a half bases. That's from Cody and St. Catharines. Tommy Fleetwood over Day and M, and that is Jarrett from Halifax. And then Mitch Keller over six and a half strikeouts, and that's Corey from Port Hope. And I'm going to select Cody from St. Catharines. Executive decision here. Austin Riley's over one and a half bases today. He says he's got a 444 lifetime against Aaron Nola. So I like that, and I like 444, or Four. There you go. I'm also going to roll with Jared from Halifax because uh, Tommy from Tommy Fleetwood. I like that over Jason Day. I picked and Tommy Fleetwood. So you know, I like that one. Him. Uh, as mentioned, our last show together for I believe six shows. I'm off tomorrow. Little long weekend, JD Bunka style. Oh, You're yeah. off to Nashville next week, so we will Yeehaw. reconvene in July with new music. Oh yes, we'll have to pick. It. Well, I'll think about something when I'm in Nashville. Okay, Maybe I'll yeah. hear an upcoming artist. We'll discuss. Okay. All right, everybody, have a happy Baby Friday. That was our parlay. By the way, it's plus 7.45, so a profitable one today. We'll miss you. I'll miss you next week, Justin. Yeah, we'll get through it. We'll have you on once. Yes, I will call in one day from Nashville. Okay. I do believe I can make that work. We're at the Joe Carter Classic on Wednesday. We'll have to fit you Awesome. Okay, so Gunner filling in tomorrow and all of next week for me, and we'll be back Friday morning. Gunsy and I.